Good morning. Good morning and welcome to all our guests and visitors today to First Church. I have a few announcements here before we get started. It's that time of year. Wonderful Wednesday start this week. Dinner is served at 545 and is open to everyone. So take this time to invite somebody to come with you this week. There will be a short meeting on Monday, the 11th. For those uh, volunteering and working for Wonderful Wednesdays, that will be in the Ministry Center, Monday at 6 o'clock. Pastor Joel is looking for volunteers to help with the soup kitchen this this Tuesday. So if you're available and can lend some help, see Pastor Joel. And Otis Spunkmeyer cookie sales begin on Wednesday, March 13th. There's a link in the bulletin. So you can look at the online catalog or you can order from many of our students or you can stop in at the church office. Please join me in the call to worship. Please stand. Today's call to worship is taken from Psalm 139, verses 1 through 18. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now let us sing hymn number 58, This Is My Father's World.
take this time to greet each other as the children come forward for children's chat. Good morning. All right. What do I have here for me? A mirror of shaving cream. Oh, I thought it was just a mirror. Well, oh, that's cute. Thanks for sharing. Well, I have a mirror, but with shaving cream, can I see myself? No. Okay. Well, let's start wiping away some of the shaving cream. So, who here, and we got a lot of girls, who here is in dance? Okay, we got a lot of dancers here. Okay, so I'm going to wave. And who here has a brother or a sister? Okay. You have a sister? Okay, so we got sisters and brothers. Who here goes to school? Okay. You go to school? Awesome, then. Okay, Miss Shelby's going to start having a mess here. Hold on. We got a lot of shaving cream because we got a lot of stuff going on in our lives. All right. Who else? Who likes to cook? All right. I know some of you guys really like to cook. So we're going to wipe away more. You love to cook? Yeah? Who likes to have sleepovers? Oh, I know. Everybody does. That's fun. Who likes to have sleepovers at grandma's house? Those are fun sleepovers, right? Okay, so we're going to wipe those away. Now, everything that I'm wiping away is something that you guys do in your life. It has something that you enjoy. It's something that your family does with you. It's something that you just naturally like and that you're good at. Some people are really good at cooking, and some people are really good at dance. But if we wipe all that away and we have one person in our hearts, who should we see looking back in the mirror at us? God. Jesus. And if we look at ourselves in the mirror, we should not only see ourselves, but we should see Jesus in our lives also. And we should also let other people see not only us, but they should see that we have Jesus in our hearts and they should be able to see Jesus as well. Okay, so no matter what you do, remember to always show Jesus to others. Because Jesus likes to be shared. And do we share our friends? We say, hey, meet our new friend. Do you want to play with our new friend? So we, we share our friends. All right. You guys ready to pray with me? All right. Dear Lord, help us this week be more like you, being kind, being loving, and being a friend. Lord, let your light shine through us. Help others see you in us this week and beyond. Amen.
lost in our service in the last week. Sergeant Holly R. Bolinsky, 37, from Pickneyville, Missouri. Specialist Jackson D. Johnson, 20, from Hillsboro, Missouri. They were lost in Kuwait. Lost at the Naval Station, Great Lakes, Illinois. Seaman recruit Kiera Deanne Quinette Evans, 20, from Monroe, Louisiana. And at Caserme Etterly, near Vincenza, Italy, Private Peter Cimino, 19, from Danville, Kentucky. I invite you at this time, if you're able, to stand and join, join with us as we sing number 468, The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. Praise God, you may be seated. This time, before we go to the Lord in prayer together, I want to invite forward Sharon Colson. Uh, she's going to be giving us a little bit of an update on uh, somebody that we've been praying for for some time within our prayers and concerns list. Um, and even in our, in our, I believe it was January newsletter, you saw a little bit more of an update about what's been going on. And so Sharon wants to be here to, to fill us in a little bit more, but also as a way to praise God and thank Him for the way that He answers prayer and works in our lives. So Sharon, take a moment and give us a little update what's going on. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for this opportunity. He's pretty much already said it all, so I don't know what else there is to say. (laughs) Starting back in September, 
I requested to have the name Brooklyn Karsh added to the prayer list in the bulletin every week. And about the first of the year, it was really on my heart to write out what was going on and to inform all of you as to who Brooklyn Karsh is. And as Pastor Joel said, in the February issue of the Daily Disciple, uh, I would like to read part of the excerpt that I had written. Brooklyn Martina Karsh is the third child of my son Jonathan and his wife Molly of Xenia. She was born June 7, 2018. Soon after she was born, it was clear she would be a special child. Her cornea is clouded in one eye, and her eyes normally look to the side. At the age of four months, she received glasses. She has been treated in Pittsburgh by specialists at Dayton's Children's Hospital and is a regular at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Tests show that she has had unseen brain seizures, infant epilepsy, and left brain disorder. Her development is months behind. As the new year begins, Brooklyn's anti-seizure medicine has been increased, and she has begun ACTH injections requiring in-hospital observation. She is awaiting another echo test and a genetics appointment for possible testing as well. Molly and Jonathan have two other children that are healthy. Uh, Altogether, I actually have um, 17 grandchildren and one great-grandchildren because Jeff and I have the blended family. And so for all of these children to be born normally except for this one, you have to question. And it's very reassuring to know that in God's eyes, she is perfect. But I would like to read to you a post that Molly put on Facebook. This is from last Thursday. After a good week of appointments, it's amazing to look back and imagine if we wouldn't have gotten those second opinions, where would Brooklyn be today? Not even three years old, and I was told she was going to be blind in one eye, which I don't think I will ever forget the pain of that moment and would require a corneal transplant that would fail. The list goes on. The next three months, I'm told she has seizures that they can't really figure out. And then they kind of stopped them. This week, which was last week, I'm told she's spasm-free, and her eyes can see, and are the greatest they've ever looked. People ask me how I do it. This is why because I believe in my little miracle child. And I thank you all for your prayers. Please continue to pray. Thank you. If you'd like to, if you're, I'd like, I'd love to praise God with you together. If you'd like to stay up here Um, before we do that, I just think this is an awesome opportunity to pause and, and thank God for, for how he works in our lives. We don't always 
take the time to do that, do we? We pray for things, and, and God always answers our prayers, maybe not in the way we expect, but he answers our prayers, and then we just go on to the next thing. Um, and so I think this is really great of Sharon to come up here and not only give us an update on something that we've been praying about for some time, but also to pause and just praise God for the way that he answers prayers and works in our lives. And, and I thank you for, for taking the time to do this, and, and I also want to extend the invitation. If God has been working in your life, if you've seen him moving and answering prayers, um, don't keep that to yourself. You know, I encourage you to, to share that. Uh, it doesn't have to be up here at the pulpit, but, but, uh, share that with someone. And if, and if God prompts you to share that with the church, there's always that opportunity to do that as well. So let's, let's take a moment and, and thank him and, and also continue to lift up these other concerns too. Uh, Father, we come to you this morning in just awe and praise of who you are and how you work in our lives. Lord, uh, we believe that you always answer prayer, maybe not in the way we expect or the way we want, um, but you are a God who hears and responds to the prayers of your people. And so we thank you this morning for Brooklyn. We thank you for the progress that she has made and the the, the changes that they have seen in her and her eyesight and this and the, and the seizures that she's been having. We thank you for the progress, Lord, that, that even the doctors weren't expecting to see this quickly and this completely. So we thank you and praise you because we know that you are able and that it has been part of your uh, healing hand and your will to, to see this happen in her life. And, and so we continue to pray for her because we, there are still some, some problems that she's facing and difficulties. And so we continue to lift her up as well as all of those that are on our prayer and concerns list, Lord. We thank you for this reminder that you are faithful that you are good and that you work according to your will. And so we ask, Lord, to that we would see uh, similar results in these other situations, that, that in all things, Lord, you would receive the glory and that you would work according to your will. Lord, we ask these things not in our own power and not according to our own will, but according to your uh, Son, Jesus Christ, who, who lives and reigns with you forever and ever. We pray these things as he taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks, Sharon. I invite you this, I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward this time. Thank you.
If you are able, please remain standing for the reading of the scripture. The first scripture this morning is from Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Also the familiar passage from Jeremiah, verse 29, or chapter 29, verses 11 through 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You may be seated. Thanks, Sharon. Father, we thank you this morning that we can once again gather, as we so often do, to to worship you, to to praise you, uh, to lift up our concerns to you, and now to hear from your word. I pray that as we open your word together this morning, that you would guide our thoughts, guide our hearts and our minds to you, Lord, and that you would um, instill in us uh, the message that you want us to hear this morning and to take away from these passages. I pray that you open up all of our hearts and minds uh, to what you have to say and that you would fill me with, with your words this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Before we just jump right into the message and this new sermon series, I want to take a moment and pause and, and give a little plug once again for Wonderful Wednesdays. Uh, this is... Um, uh, sermon series that we're actually doing that will kind of corons- correspond and, and streamline right along with wonderful Wednesdays that begin this week. Uh, originally, when I sketched out my sermon series for the year, and I, I had something else slotted into our Lenten season, but as we began to plan for wonderful Wednesdays, I realized, and we and we landed on this theme of, of identity in Christ and really discovering and studying who we are in him, um, I realize that's, that's a good message and something that we all need to hear and we all need to, to take some time, not just on Wednesday nights. And so uh, beginning this week and moving through Lent, we're going to uh, be talking about that, talking about our identity in Christ here on Sunday mornings, as well as digging into it on Wednesday nights at Wonderful Wednesday. So I'm very excited for that and, and excited for what God has in store here. Um, but I also want to plug a little bit of our need for help on Wonderful Wednesdays. It's not too late to sign up to come, and it's not too late to sign up to help. Um, in fact, this is a ministry that we've seen growing these past couple of years, and Michelle, who who kind of coordinates the, the registration and the rosters, told me this morning that we have more kids signed up this year than we ever have before. Um, we have... I believe right now 80 kids signed up. I think the, I think last year we had like 62 or 63. So we're seeing growth here. We're seeing more kids involved, more kids signing up, which is an amazing thing. Uh, so there are 12, I believe, new kids this year that aren't kindergartners. So these are kids that, that are older that have not come before but are new. And so someone's talking about Wonderful Wednesdays. Someone's spreading the good news about what happens on those nights. And so it's, it's really exciting to see and awesome to see. 
but also means we, means we need help and we need to, to have, have the adults and the teens here to help make this happen and make it a, a safe and good environment for these kids to be at. So if you're interested in helping, uh, I encourage you to come tomorrow night to the, the meeting at six o'clock over in the ministry center or talk to me or Michelle or Tori, uh, and we can get you connected. Um, there's, there's a lot of, of areas that you can get plugged into, uh, that don't require a whole lot of or really any prep or any uh, uh, um, like technical skills or anything like that, uh, as long as you can spend time with kids and love on them and uh, help them read, read stories to them, those sorts of things, uh, th- that's a great opportunity to help. So I encourage you to get connected and help out with that. They begin this Wednesday. Um, and then in addition to that, you're all welcome to come and enjoy a free meal. Uh, you see the schedule for the meals are in the bulletin uh, for each week and they're going to be prepared by people from within our congregation, and we encourage you to come and, and enjoy those meals together as well. Uh, so with that being said, let's, let's dive in here. We're going to be taking a look over these next five weeks about, as I mentioned already, our identity in Christ, what it means to live in him and live for him. Um, and, and, and we're going to be looking at this from a perspective of our worldview, See, we all have a worldview, whether we realize it or not. And, and what I mean by that is, is it's a way that in which, and this sounds pretty obvious, the way in which we view the world, the way in which we understand the world we live in and our place in it. See, we all have a worldview, it's, it's in, in, and we can get it from a variety of places. Part of our, our worldview is instilled in us through our family, you know, how we grow up, the kind of values and 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 notions that are instilled in us at a young age. Uh, we get a worldview from our surrounding culture and, and kind of the direction that the culture is going, whether we realize it or not, influences us and how we think and, and view certain things. And also, and, and what I hope to be doing over these next few weeks is, is realizing that we also get our worldview from our faith and from Scripture. And, and, and I want to encourage us to, to think about that in a very intentional way because because if we're not intentional about it, we're just going to absorb and we're just going to, to be viewing the world uh, as, as we have maybe always done so or as the culture desires for us to see it. Our worldview matters. In a sense, it's like having a lens through which we are able to see and understand the world around us. I've been wearing my glasses a lot more lately rather than my contacts. I've, they've been uh, helping me see a little bit better for one reason or another, and so I've been wearing my glasses a whole lot more. And, and, but it's also a very good visual of, of what it lends and what a worldview is all about, right? If I'm wearing my glasses, I can see you all clearly. I can see your bright, shining, uh, wide-awake faces on this daylight savings morning. Um, but if I were to take them off, right, I can still see you, but they're a little bit more fuzzy, <laughs> a little bit more blurry, right? It's my glasses, it's the lenses that help me to see and understand the world around me in a more clear uh, and accurate way. You know, and, 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 and so the lens that we look through is like our worldview. It helps us to understand and that different lenses are going to tint the world a little differently depending on where we start. And, and, and really it is about that starting point. Uh, I think an obvious example for us that we can pull right from maybe an example from Scripture is is the issue of miracles. Now, if we have a certain worldview that says that miracles are impossible, that 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 miracles cannot happen because they exist outside the laws of nature and nothing can possibly exist outside the laws of nature, then we are going to come up with certain explanations for those events that fit within the laws of nature. 
One example of that is, is the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, this event where Jesus, through his disciples, ends up feeding this large crowd on, on a few small loaves, a few loaves of bread and a couple small fish. Right? 5,000 men, it says, were fed that day. So the crowd is much larger than that if you were to include the whip, excuse me, the women and children as well. In a, in a worldview that says miracles are impossible, that miracles cannot possibly happen because they don't fit within the laws of nature, we try to explain those things away and say, well, well, Jesus, invited people to to simply share what they already had. They had packed their picnic lunch. They they all had something, some probably more than others, and Jesus' act of generosity and compassion encouraged others to simply share what they had already brought with them. And in doing so, there was plenty of food to go around and enough people there was enough food that everybody had something to eat and was satisfied. Uh, another example of trying to explain away a miracle is, is Jesus walking on water. I've heard people talk, I've heard uh, explanations of, of Jesus walking on water that he just happened to know where the stones were that were just below the, the water surface. And so what appeared to, him, appeared to the disciples as Jesus walking on water was simply him having that perfect step and perfect path through the water and he was just simply stepping on stones that were just below the water surface. You see, that is a natural explanation that comes out of a worldview that says miracles can't possibly happen. And so, therefore, we have to come up with a different explanation. Uh, the other side of that, of course, is, is viewing miracles as, as yes, outside of the, the normal rules of nature, but something that it, it's, a, it's a moment of God breaking through and, and, and influencing the world in, in his own way according to his own will. And so miracles like the feeding of the 5,000 or Jesus walking on water do exist outside the, the normal uh, bounds of, of natural law and how the world normally works. And that's why they're miracles, right? Because they are different and they're outside. But our, our, our worldview, our, our lens is going to determine kind of how we view those things. And so viewing them from a, a maybe a purely say, atheistic or humanistic or scientific perspective, we try to explain, we view the world in certain ways. We look at the same evidence but see it differently, as opposed to someone who looks at it from, a, say, a biblical or Christ-centered worldview. Now, I'm using pretty big extremes there, right? You know, and most of us, and, and practically speaking, fall somewhere in the middle of, of those examples. But but from a, a that that's a, a way for us to understand and, and understand get what I'm talking about when I talk about worldviews and the lens through which we see the world. And that, ha- that pertains to our conversation today because I believe when we talk about our identity, when we talk about who we are, we often view ourselves and view the world around us uh, with, with a worldview, a lens that, that we don't always even realize. We buy into lies that we tell ourselves that, that maybe the people in our lives have told us all along. We buy into lies that our culture says are things that we should value or things that we should find to be true. And even we buy into lies that the enemy tells us and whispers into our ears. These lies are, are both subtle and explicit. Uh, they creep in without us even realizing it. And there are also ones that, that are obviously contradictory to Scripture that we need to be aware of too. And all of these lies have, have huge implications for how we understand ourselves and the world around us. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about what some of those lies are and then, and then what God says and what Scripture says uh, is true about those situations. Does that make sense? 
And so we're going to be taking a look at, at both a, a maybe generalized uh, worldview that is that is not biblical and, and how, that imp- how that impacts us and then looking at it from a scriptural point of view and what God speaks into our lives in that particular situation. And so today we're going to be starting literally at the beginning uh, and talking about our our, our role as, as being created in God's image. Now, the, from a, a completely like um, non-biblical standpoint, and, there, and there's, there's a lot of, I'm going to be speaking in generalities because it's hard to pinpoint one exact view, right? There's a multitude of views out there. Uh, but, but generally speaking, if we're looking at this from a non-faith standpoint, the world says that we are here uh, by random chance. Right. If there is no creator, if there is no create creation in, in the biblical sense, then that must mean we're here by random chance. We're here uh, without any real purpose and there's no necessarily necessarily meaning to life. If that were to be true. And so that has a lot of implications if you think about it. If 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 there is no creation, if there is no creator, then then there is no meaning, there is no significance, there is no purpose besides those that we can construct for ourselves. And there's no real way to determine any sort of absolute truth or absolute morality or ethics because there is nothing outside of us or beyond us to kind of set that standard. And so any, any ethics, any morality that we come up with is going to be cultural or situational or really if, if, and if we're honest with ourselves, if there is no God, then, then there is no absolute higher standard for which all people should then conform, right? And so maybe there is no moral code or ethics at all, if that is the case. And that has, a lot, like I said, a lot of implications uh, for, for the way that we live, and, and we can take plenty of time this morning to spell those out, but what I really want to do is focus on, on what Scripture says in response to that. In fact, Scripture says that that is not the case. We're not here by accident. We are not just the result of of random chance, but that we are, in fact, created in God's image. And therefore, we're not a mistake, and we do have purpose. Sharon just read uh, from Genesis 1, 26-27, this very familiar passage of of God deciding, I'm going to, you know, at the on that sixth day of creation, I'm going to create... Mankind in my own image, in our image, it says. And, and, and so he creates male and female in his image. And, and I love the, the description in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 of, of the more, you know, poetic or, uh, look at, at creation where, where it says that God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth, right? He formed this person. It's almost like this, the description is almost like an artistic creation, right? He's sculpting him, he's molding him, and then he breathes life into his creation. And it's at that point that Adam comes to life. Psalm 139, which was our call to worship this morning, is another example of, of that creative uh, nature of God being made known and experienced in our humanity. Right? He knit us together in, in our mother's womb. Right? He knows us. He formed us. And so creation is not, was not just a one-time event. It wasn't something that God just did for Adam and Eve and then he left the world to its own devices. But God continues to create. He continues to sustain us. Each one of us has been created in God's image just like Adam and Eve were in the beginning. You know, there's, a, there's some worldviews that say, even uh, from a, a Christian point of view, 
would fall into more like what we would call a deistic point of view in that God, yes, God created things, God has set things in order, uh, and then like a, a clock or like a watch, he wound it all up and then let it go. And God has been removed and un, in, inactive in the world ever since. But I think Scripture argues differently that God is still active and he still uh, works his will and still is active in our lives. Uh, none of us are here by accident. I love Sharon's testimony this morning because it reminded us that even even, even those that are, are struggling with health problems, even those that struggle with other other hardships and other difficulties that sin and the, and the reality of sin brings about in this world, none of us are here by accident. We've all been created in God's image and, and we're worthy of dignity and respect and, and all that that entails. You know, if we're just here by accident, if there's no real purpose, then, then what's, what are we doing? What's the point? We're just wandering through life aimlessly and, and there's no clear direction or no clear path for us to follow. But if in fact we have been created by an all-loving, all-powerful, all-good God, then that gives us something to live for, doesn't it? That gives us something to also look forward to and something to hold on to during those difficult times of life. When health challenges come your way, when you do get a bad break with your job or when family problems do arise, knowing that there is an all-powerful, good, loving God who has created us and continues to sustain us gives us something. It's that anchor to hold on to in the midst of the storm. And so we have, not only have we been created, but we've been created with a purpose. Uh, Jeremiah 29:11, uh, that also was read already for us this morning, reminds us that that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives, not for harm, not for not to toy with us, right? But it's for good. Uh, now we do have to remember that that passage was written to a specific context. He was written to, it was written by Jeremiah to the exiles in Babylon. Now, none of us are exiled right now. None of us are in a foreign country and wondering whether God or has abandoned us or not, right? That is the specific context of that passage. Uh, but, but the general principle does apply that God does have a plan and purpose for us. And, and the question then is, what is that purpose? If we've been created to know him, if we've been created, then why? What is the reason that God has placed us on this earth? And I want to tell you that this morning. Many of us have wondered that. We've often wondered, why, why am I here? What is God, why has God placed me here? Why is He giving me this job, this family? Why do I live here in this community? Right? What purpose does that serve? What am I, should I be doing with my life? Well, I think the Bible's pretty clear for all of us what that means. It's that we should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And that, that we should go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded us to obey. Right? That's the great commandment and the great commission. And that is for all people, all believers of all time. That is our purpose and our goal in this life is to live those out to the best of our ability. To love God, to love our neighbor, and to make disciples. Uh, that's true for everyone, but it may look different on, in individual contexts based on your individual gifts or the opportunities God has placed before you, right? Loving God, loving your neighbor and making disciples looks different for a school teacher as it does for a, a person who works in a bank, as it does for a, a person who's retired versus a stay-at-home mom, right? Like our context determines what that looks like and how we live that out, but that purpose is still true for all of us at all time. 
love God, love others, and make disciples. That's the purpose that God has created us for. And it does have implications on how we live and and what we would call ethics or morality. If, in fact, we have been created with a purpose and and we're not here by random chance, then there there can be certain expectations placed on us for how we are to live according to that purpose. As I mentioned already, if we are, if, if, if life is the result of random chance and there is nothing uh, greater than what we see and experience in this life and, and the things that we can measure and, 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 and the tangible things of this world, then, then there's no greater purpose. There's no greater rules that we live by. Anything that we do come up with is simply the product of our culture or the product of our society, our own individual beliefs, and those things aren't necessarily binding on anyone else. But if we have been created by a good and loving and holy and righteous and just God, then that has implications for then how we should live in response to that. Good or bad can be determined based on how something fulfills its purpose or fails to fulfill its purpose. In his book, The Reason for God, Tim Keller uses the example of a watch. He said you can, you can know whether a watch is good or bad based on its ability to tell and keep track of time accurately, right? A good watch is one that keeps track of time and does not fail you to, you know, show up or or fail, you know, that that you get places on time because it keeps accurate record of time. A bad watch is one that will fail you and you show up late to church because we forget to set it back, you know, for an hour for daylight savings time, right? But we can tell if a watch is good or a watch is bad because we know its purpose. Its purpose is to accurately keep time, if you didn't know what a watch was for or what reason a watch was created to, or what purpose a watch was created to serve, we would not be able to know whether it was a good watch or bad watch. And in the same way, we can know the purpose for which we were created because God has revealed that to us in his word, to love him, to love others and make disciples. And so the things that we do that help us accomplish that purpose are good and right. The things that we do that obstruct that purpose, that, that don't accomplish that purpose are wrong and should be avoided. We have a responsibility then to live according to our purpose as best as we are able. And there's there's two primary ways that God has made that known to us. The first is is available to all people. It's that general revelation that God has made himself known in this world. He's impressed certain uh, th- that moral code on our hearts. So no matter where you live or what time you've lived, there's just certain things that, that society, people in general have agreed upon as right and certain things that have agreed upon as wrong. Uh, for most people, for m- almost all of time, it's been understood that murder is a bad thing, right? That's not something that is socially constructed. That's not something that we have decided for ourselves is, is, is beneficial to society. It's something that, that we have impressed upon our hearts. And it's amazing if you look at societies from all times, from all places, all cultures, there's general rules that we see up in each one of them. And it's not just because they're beneficial, but I believe it's because God has impressed those things on our hearts. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, it talks about how God has revealed himself so that people are without excuse. Through nature, his invisible qualities have been made known so that people are without excuse. 
So I believe in, in one sense, God has made himself known to all creation through creation so that that uh, and then even that moral conscious, that general revelation that we have helps us to know and understand God to a certain extent. But general revelation only has certain it does have certain limitations, and that's why God gave us his special revelation, his word. We can know God's will in a more real and concrete way because he's made it known to us through his word. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 to 17, it says that all scripture is God breathed, right? As it is inspired by God, it's useful for teaching and correcting and training in righteousness, right? All those things. And it's, and it's through God's word that we can know his will and that we can attempt as best as we are able to live according to it. But that's only possible because of what God has, uh, God has laid out for us in his word. And so we're not a mistake. We, we do have a purpose. And, and, and to build on that, uh, we're called to know God, to, excuse me, to love God, love others, and make disciples. And so a, a way that we live out that purpose is that we are made to know him. We're made to be in a relationship with God. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. This is the, uh, right after the, the, the fall of man and right, Adam and Eve both eat from the fruit and they, their eyes are open. They, they, uh, they realize their, their shame and their nakedness and they try to hide from God. And in Genesis 3 verse 8, it says that God was walking through the garden. And this, this word there about for the, the way that it's worded, uh, is a reference to, it's something that God did on a regular basis. It was normal and expected for God to, to just stroll through the garden and have this sort of relationship with Adam and Eve where they were able to walk side by side and, and, and they could see God face to face because there was no sin at that time, because sin had not entered the picture yet. And it's at that moment when God was walking through the garden when he confronted Adam and Eve about their sin and their decision to rebel against him. In the Jeremiah 29 passage, uh, it goes on to say that, that we will seek God and we will find him when we seek him with all of our heart. You see, that's the key. God has made himself known. God, is, God wants to be known by us. And the key is that he's made himself available to us through Christ, through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And, and we have that, that call now to respond by seeking him out with all of our heart. He's not hard to find. He's not hiding somewhere. He, he wants to have that relationship with us. And it's just a matter of us setting our hearts on the Lord and seeking him out. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus tells the church uh, that, that he's standing at the door and he's knocking. Many of you have met, probably seen that famous painting that hangs up in lots of churches of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. It's interesting to know on that painting that uh, if you're not familiar with it, I'm sure if you just did a Google search, it would show up. But this painting of Jesus knocking at the door, there's no handle on the outside. Never noticed until someone pointed it out to me a few years ago. There's no handle on the outside. It's, it's Jesus is knocking and, and he hopes that we open the door and allow him to come in. And it says if we open that door that he will come in and he will share a meal with us. Again, a symbol of that relationship that he desires to have with his creation. James chapter 4 verse 8 it encourages us to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. In John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself as this great shepherd of the sheep and that the sheep hear and respond to his voice and they know him in such a real and intimate way. And they will be able to know and respond to that voice uh, and 
And in Romans chapter 8, it talks about our life in the Spirit. That God has given us His Spirit so that we may know Him, that, that we may understand that we are in fact His children, that we've been adopted into sonship, that He has made us His own. He has chosen us so that we can know Him and have that relationship with Him. And it's through the Spirit that our hearts cry out, Abba, Father, to the Lord. And so we have been created, and the reason is so that we may know Him and, and grow in that relationship with Him. And, and that in and of itself is a reflection of God's image. I mentioned earlier in, in Genesis 1, it says, let us make mankind in our own image. Notice the plural there. God didn't say, let me make mankind in my image. It's let us make mankind in our image. Even in Genesis 1, there's a glimpse of that trinity, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together from, the, from before time began and in relationship with each other, one God and three, and three beings. You know, we see God in that relationship from the beginning. And so our relationship with him is simply an extension of the reality that God is three and one and that we were made to know him and be in relationship with him. And finally, the, an extension of that as well is that we are made to be in relationship with him for eternity. We were not created just to, to live and to die and to, to return to the earth but we were created to know him forever. Death itself is a result of sin and the fall, but we were meant to know him and, and God is working to bring us back into, so that we may know him and experience his love forever. If you were to take, it's interesting, if you were to take sin out of the Bible, if you were to, to remove all of the, the scripture that deals with sin or the consequences of sin or the reality of sin, you'd be left with four chapters. You'd have Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and Revelation chapters 21 and 22. The garden and then the new heavens and the new earth. Everything else, the whole rest of the Bible is the story of God recreating and bringing us back into relationship with him. Done first and foremost through Christ and then the sending of his spirit to be with his people. All of it is done so that we may know him, so that God God can bring us back to himself, so that we can once again be in relationship with him like Adam and Eve were in the garden before the fall. But notice it's not just the garden anymore. It's, it's the new heaven and the new earth, this new city where, where God's people will dwell with each other and with God. And so I want to read to you from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. This is a passage I, I almost always read at, at funerals and memorial services because it gives us that glimpse of what eternity is going to be like for God's people. The Apostle John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. So there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. 
See, that's what we're looking forward to. That's what God is working to bring about through Christ is the redemption and the recreation of, of, uh, of his world, of his creation. God in perfect, unbroken relationship with his people in creation. And that's what Christ has come to do and accomplishes to, to bring us back to that point. And so our hope is not just for this life, but it's also for the one to come. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 15 that if our hope is only for this life, we have all people are to be pitied, but we have the resurrection to look forward to when God will bring us to be with him and his people for all time. Death has come into the world through Adam, but life has come into the world through the second Adam, through Christ, Paul says in Romans chapter 5. And so therefore we need to keep, we need to live this life with eternity as our focus. Colossians chapter 3 says that we need to set our sights on heaven. And when we do that, that will have implications for how we live now. As we set our sights on Christ and on, on, on our eternity with Him, that will give us the strength we need through the Spirit to set aside those things that hinder our walk and be able to take up those things that help us to become more Christ-like. And so we'll see things in our lives like sin and, and, and um, those things that keep us from Christ begin to fall away and we'll see our, that Christ-likeness begin to grow. Our focus on heaven should, should instill an urgency for us to live rightly now. In closing, I want to read a passage from Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, uh, a great book that I've gone back to at several different points in my life. Uh, and in his chapter talking about hope, this is, this is what he says. He says, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we have been created in your image, that we have been made with a purpose. Uh, We are not a mistake, and that that purpose is to, to love you, to love others, and to make disciples. Help us, Lord, to live into that, and help us to see the world through that lens. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and in closing, let's sing number 357, Jesus Loves Even Me.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You may go in peace.